Please pray with me. Dear Lord, this morning in our knocking and asking and seeking, may we be opened, answered, and found by you. Found by you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In our story today, we hear our dear friend Peter being on the receiving end of one of Jesus' soul-searching questions. Simon, do you love me? And he gets asked this life-reorienting question, not just once, not just twice, but three times. When I was in my early 30s and living in China, I started reading again the Bible for the very first time in eight long years. And to my great surprise and astonishment, what, what impacted me most of all were the questions that Jesus asked again and again in Scripture. Some of them hit me with the force of a freight train. And I heard them as I was reading as if he were asking them to me personally, which is the way that we should be reading scripture. Todd, who are you looking for? Todd, do you really want to be made well? Todd, who do you say that I am? Many, many years later in Martin Copenhaver's wonderful book, Jesus is the Question, lovely title, I finally had confirmed what I had been suspecting all along. Jesus in Scripture asks a whole lot of questions. Do you know how many? 307. 307 questions. I'm glad someone counted them up. And Jesus' disciples and listeners also ask him a whole lot of questions as well. Not as many, but still a whole lot of them. 183. He counted them. And Jesus actually only answers eight of those 183 questions and only answers three of them directly. There's a pattern. And what happens all the other times? Jesus either responds with a parable, as he often does, or... <laughs> with one more question. You see, by asking so many questions, Jesus is showing his own very deep roots in his Jewish faith. A tradition that actually encourages rather than discourages us to ask many, many questions. 
This reminds me of the wonderful joke about a rabbi who is asked, why do you always answer a question with another question? His response, why shouldn't I answer a question with another question? I love that. <laughs> and maybe there's some wisdom there for us as parents and grandparents. Answering our children's question with a deeper question. Now we all know how we can sometimes use questions in order to obfuscate, muddy, delay, stall, wander, confuse, and distract. This is not what we are talking about today. I want to be clear about that. We don't want people to say, well, East Chestnut Street is a church where people just wander around asking questions. No. Jesus asks questions with a very clear purpose. He wants to take us somewhere. This is very important. He asks us questions to launch us into deeper struggle, reflection, transformation, and discipleship. After all, did you notice today his very last words recorded in scripture to Peter are, follow me. The call to discipleship. And do you know back in Matthew what Jesus' first words were to Peter as well? Follow me. So through his questions, Jesus is intending to lead us on an endless journey further and further and further into the kingdom, further and further into God's love. That's where we're going with his questions. And I think though Jesus in his day never spoke English, he would want us to notice that inside the word question is the word quest. That's what we're on. That's what we're on. So let's turn now to our story. What a lovely one. I, countless sermons could be preached on this amazing, wonderful story, and I, you'll be grateful that I won't try. But today, I want us to notice that our dear Peter meets the risen Jesus beside the Sea of Galilee. And I want us to notice the setting. They are beside a charcoal fire. And Jesus asked Peter the same haunting question three times. Do you love me? And what Jesus is doing here, dear friends, is he is taking Peter back to the night when beside another charcoal fire, remember where that was? In the high priest's courtyard, where Peter denies his beloved teacher, not once, not twice, but three times. 
he takes Peter back to that terrible night that turned him into a weeping and broken man. And agonized, Peter now replies three times, Lord, you know I love you. And now he surely waits for Jesus' well-deserved condemnation. But instead of rebuking Peter, Jesus now tells him three times, three healing times, feed my sheep. Do you see it? Peter's denial is fully named, fully faced, and fully forgiven. Go feed my sheep. Friends, I want us to see that throughout this Easter season, what a lovely, wonderful season indeed it is. I think it's my favorite for preaching. We see the risen Jesus like a master weaver. Like a master weaver. Working three Sundays ago with Mary Magdalene. Last Sunday working with dear Thomas. And today working with Peter. Jesus is taking the tangled strands of their lives. Their betrayal. Their abandonment. And their denial. And weaving them into something new and beautiful. A forgiven and a forgiving church. A reconciled and a reconciling community. And the good news for us is that in the very same way, God is wanting to use all the tangled strands in our own lives as well. I've got a bunch of them, do you? God wants to use all of our worst mistakes in our favor. God wants to use everything, everything, everything in our lives. Never wants to waste anything. Just ask Peter. To quote Teresa of Avila, God loves to write straight with our crooked lines. To paraphrase John of the Cross, God knows how to draw good out of our brokenness so wisely and so beautifully. And today we see this happening especially through the healing power of Jesus' questions. During my ministry here at East Chestnut Street, I've been slowly, slowly realizing that many of our most meaningful gatherings together are ones that have been shaped by the asking of a very deep 
and challenging question together. For example, three years ago, many of us gathered in small groups. We called them home gatherings. Remember that? To reflect on some challenging questions together. We were asking, what spiritual practices strengthen our lives? What is prayer? And what can we expect from it? Is being together just two hours a week enough to shape the character of Jesus in each of us? Wonderful questions. And at Suds and Duds, our monthly men's group, there's one thing that's sure to bring a big crowd together on a Tuesday night, and that is a good question. <laughs> and I often laugh with Daryl about this, because if it's a dud of a question, very few people will come out. And in a similar way, at our membership retreats, something has shifted profoundly when I began to frame these retreats with a central question. And that question is, in our rootless world, where do we want to be rooted and planted? Where do we want to belong? How can we become like the trees in Psalm 1, planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in our season, and our leaves never withering? How can we be like that together? Let me close. Some years ago, I had the chance to read Betty Fry's wonderful memoir, in which she movingly shares a question that has guided her life. What does love require? What does love, what does the love of God require? And ever since then, that question has been shaping the family discernment that Jasmine and Jeanette and I do together in our home so have some other questions. For example, who is my neighbor? Do we ever get done asking who is my neighbor? Friends, what central faith questions are gui guiding your life that you will never be done answering, never be done asking, never be done living out? And how about our church? How about our church? Amen.